Let us pray. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today so that I can faithfully share your words, your hope, your truth. Lord, I pray everyone would leave today different, knowing that you are the Lord of life, that they would have the courage to proclaim that in their own lives, and they would live lives of movement, not only toward you, but toward other people. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever felt stuck or like you couldn't get traction going in your life? Perhaps you've actually been stuck, maybe in the snow or something with a vehicle. Well, when I was in high school, I was always trying to find new ways to meet girls, right, or to get to know girls better. And my dad had this uh, Toyota Land Cruiser. It was a four-cylinder, and the thing was a beast, right? It was always breaking down. And uh, it was a stick shift, four, uh, four speeds on it. And I thought, you know what, I'll start teaching the girls in my school that are learning how to drive how to do stick shift on my dad's car. Seemed like a good idea, right? You know, get a little close so I can show them how it works. And, uh, well, as you can imagine, as we were doing this stick shift, there was a lot of, you know, the car was not going into gear. And my dad could not figure out, oh, by the way, Dad, when you listen to this uh, sermon I'm sorry, okay, because I never told him about this. But anyway, the clutch went like two or three times in one year from all my lessons that I was giving on how to drive stick shift in this car. And as you know, when you're using a clutch, for those of you who are familiar with the stick shift, unless you have it engaged properly, it's going to shake like crazy, like you're on an earthquake. Uh, it's going to grind the gears. And worst case scenario, like happened to our car, it, uh, the clutch will go on it. I think for a lot of us in our lives, we can feel like we just can't get things going at times. We can't feel kind of stuck, like we can't get it in gear. And uh, we feel stagnant in life. For some of us, we can feel emotionally that way. We can feel like we're just numb. Things that should make us care or cry or sad or laugh, we kind of feel nothing in our lives. We call this slumps. Perhaps it's a midlife crisis. For seniors in high school and seniors in college, we call it a senior slump. We just can't seem to get it going. It happens in relationships and marriages where we feel like we get stuck and we start growing apart from each other. It happens in retirement when that same old routine, we're not having the action of work and a career, stops working for us. So what is the remedy for this? Well, I think oftentimes we try escapes. Some of them are positive, like maybe a new hobby, you know, something to kind of like stimulate our mind, new activity, perhaps a nice vacation, you know, a good escape just to get away, try to mix things up a little bit. But others can be fairly destructive, compulsive spending, just trying to buy the next thing to make us feel good, even though we know it ultimately really won't make us feel that great, just put us further in debt. Or even gets more dangerous. People resort to drugs to have that temporary escape. I had a friend in college, and we called him Wake and Bake, because every morning he had to smoke weed just to get going, just to kind of uh, make it through the day. And he said he wasn't addicted, but I was like, but why do you do it every day, you know, just to keep on going? For others, it can become illicit affairs. 
We try to mix it up. Marriage isn't working for us or relationships aren't working. So it's just hooking up with the next person, thinking that person is going to have life in themselves. And it never really works. We get stuck. And again, if we're really honest, we know that more money is not going to fix the problem. More things aren't going to fix the problem. So what is the solution when we get this way? How do we break out of these ruts? There's a story in the Civil War. Um, I didn't get to share it at the first service, but I decided uh, to share it this. It was about a, uh, a young soldier who felt very stuck. And the solution he found was life-changing for him. You see, he was in the Union Army, and he had lost his older brother and his father in the Battle of Gettysburg. The soldier decided that his only solution was to go to Washington, D.C. to see President Lincoln to ask for an exemption for military service so that he'd go back home and help his sister and mom with the spring planning on the farm. When he arrived in Washington after having received a furlough from the military to go and plead his case, he went to the White House, he approached the front gate and asked to see the president, The guard on duty told him, you can't see the president, young man. Don't you know that a war is going on? He's much too busy. Now go away. Get back out on the battle lines where you belong. So this young soldier left. He was very disheartened. And he was sitting on this park bench uh, near the White House just thinking about his predicament. Then a boy came up to him and said, what's wrong? You look so sad. What's going on? The soldier looked at the little boy and began to spill his heart out to him. He told him about his father and his brother being killed in the war and his desperate situation at home. He explained that his mother and sister had no one to help them on their farm. The little boy listened and said, I can help you, soldier. He took the soldier by the hand and led him back to the front gate of the White House. Apparently, the guard didn't notice the little boy because they walked right past him. They walked straight into the White House After they got inside, they walked right past the generals and the high-ranking officials, and no one said a word. The soldier couldn't understand this. What was going on? Why didn't anyone try to stop them? Finally, they reached the Oval Office where the president was working. The little boy didn't even knock on the door. He just walked right in and led the soldier in with him. Then behind the desk, there behind the desk was Abraham Lincoln and his secretary of state looking over battle plans that were laid out on the desk. The president looked at the boy and then at the soldier and said, Good afternoon, Todd. Can you introduce me to your friend? And Todd Lincoln, the son of the president, said, Daddy, this soldier needs to talk to you. The soldier pled his case before Mr. Lincoln, and right then and there he received the exemption that he desired. The son had saved him. You see, the solution for all all of us begins with a relationship a relationship with the Son, Jesus Christ, who brings us access to the Father. This access, this proclamation that Jesus is Lord, Lord of our lives, when we put our faith and trust in him, then we have this freedom. We have this salvation. We have this access. We don't need to live lives where we're stuck. See, oftentimes we try to look for life in ourselves and it, or other people or some of those escapes that I talked about, and it never quite works. The latest self-help book, although they can be very helpful, doesn't quite do it. See, life begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. 
This is the life, the faith life in him that brings us a dynamic life of movement. And not only a connection with God, but a connection with other people. And as we unpack scripture this morning, we are going to understand how we can make this connection in our lives. How we can live lives where we don't become stagnant or numb. And I know these are basics of the Christian faith, but we need to be reminded of this over and over again. No matter whether you are a lifelong believer or you're someone who today who came with a lot of questions, unsure about God and with faith. So our story begins from the gospel reading that uh, Kathy just read. And if you heard my sermon from a few weeks ago, I talked about Jesus multiplying the bread and the loaves. And, and I talked about how he said he was the bread of life. But I didn't tell you the rest of the story about what happened after this. See, as Jesus gave this sermon, he said, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the man in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Sounds like a great teaching, right? People had problems with this. The Jewish leaders were like, wait a second, who is this guy? People began to mutter, isn't this the son of a carpenter? Who is he to say that he is the bread of life? And even his disciples, who had seen a lot of his miracles, who had spent time with them, some of them had proclaimed that Jesus was Lord. They began to doubt. In verse 66, it says, From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So they had become stuck. They couldn't get past this message. Because this message was saying that they needed to trust this person, that he was more than a person, that he was God in flesh. And it was a little too much to swallow for them. So what changed? Well, the disciples who stuck with them began to see more and more Jesus' ministry. And they began to say over and over again, you're Lord. I know you are. Even Jesus said in John 13, he said, I am Lord. He pronounced it. They began to say this over and over again. But yet then on his darkest day, if you know about the story on the cross, when the going got tough, the disciples ran away. So then what changed? Well, the cross and the resurrection changed everything. When Jesus died on the cross for our sins, the cross did not have the final word. The resurrection did. He rose from the dead and his disciples began to see them. And they were amazed. And this time when they said he is Lord, it lasted. It stuck. Thomas, who was a, they called him the doubting Thomas just because he asked questions like, I want to see this with my own eyes and with my own hands. After he saw Jesus' wounds and he touched them and he saw his side, he said, he said, my Lord and my God. He recognized that Jesus was Lord. The disciples recognized Jesus' divinity. They understood that this was real. It changed everything. They were reminded of Jesus' words where he said, I am the Lord. So what does this mean? What did it mean for them that Jesus was the Lord? Well, the first thing it was, they wanted to proclaim and tell everybody about it. Filled with the Holy Spirit, they became proclaimers. Not like that old band from the 80s, but they wanted to tell people about it. The Apostle Paul, uh, in his letter to the Romans, writes, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. They understood this message of who Jesus was was huge, and they wanted to tell everybody about it. Apostle Paul goes on to write, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So what does this message mean for us today in 2018? I mean, we've probably seen it on a bumper sticker, on a church sermon title, Jesus is Lord, but that can become kind of a cliche, can't it? And besides, we don't live in feudalism. What are lords anyway? We're not peasants working in a field. I mean, we're, we're living in a democratic society. Power to the people, right? What did the uh, writers of the New Testament, the disciples, when they recorded Jesus' words, what was Jesus saying when he said, I am the Lord? I think it means several things for us. First of all, when we look at that passage when Jesus says he is the bread of life, it's a reminder that he is the very source and essential of what gives us life and gives us purpose and meaning in life. Earl Palmer, a New Testament professor, said it this way, Jesus is not the cake of life, a luxury for those who have time and money to dabble in religion. Jesus is the barley bread, the poor people's bread, the common bread, the basic the totally essential source of life itself. We cannot survive or thrive without him. He is the Lord of life. It's recognizing that he is our creator. He knows us, and it's very personal. When we look in the scripture, we're reminded of those passages in in the Old Testament and Psalms where it says he knit us together in our mother's womb. Jesus' words that he knows the very number of hairs on your head. For some of us, that's becoming less and less, but uh, he knows that. He knows everything about you. He knows your story. He's not only the source of life, he's a personal source of life for you and I. And when we recognize that, when we put our trust in him, we recognize that he's in control, we understand that we belong to him. We become adopted into his family. And then life starts, stops becoming about us or us trying to find another way to fill the void we have or to fill the uh, rut we're going through. We always look to Christ first. The Apostle Paul uh, echoed this uh, sentiment. He said, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants for Jesus' sake. We understand that life is not found in us. Instead, we have a life giver who brings us life, who brings us life to the full, who brings us a message to proclaim and to share. This salvation that we receive when we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, it changes not only our mindset, but it changes our action. First of all, it helps us to learn how to love. John, uh, not in his gospel, but in his uh, letter, was known as the apostle of love. Well, even in his gospel as well, he was always talking about how God so loved the world. But later he wrote these words. We love because he first loved us. Love doesn't come from us. It comes from the source. Some of us are great lover people. We have a lot of compassion. But when we know Christ, we know the source of life, we become better lovers of other people. We're able to uh, pour life into others, even difficult people. Because when Jesus is Lord of our life, We have a power that is not of ourself. We have a power that's greater than us to do things that we didn't think were possible, to love difficult people. 
I love uh, this letter to Ephesians that we read earlier. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Notice he doesn't say sit in the way of love or read a lot of books about love or hang out with people that are good at loving other people. He said walk in the way of love. The Christian life is an act of love. It's a crossing the street, getting to know your neighbor's love. It's loving people that you have a hard time on your own loving because they're difficult. Or maybe they talk bad about you. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, you're part of this ministry of movement. And you're able to love difficult people, even when you don't think it's possible, because it's not about you. It's about you being connected to God. The early church understood this kind of sacrificial love, and they faced incredible difficult times. They were oftentimes persecuted, misunderstood, put into prison, even killed for their faith. But their connection they had with God, they didn't get stuck. They moved forward. They didn't become stagnant. They were filled with love through the Holy Spirit, and they were able to love others, even when it was difficult. James wrote in his book that faith without works is dead. And I think that often gets misunderstood. We have this debate, do you have works, faith, what comes first, what comes this and that? I think it's best to just kind of use the healthiest example you can think of a marriage. Marriage doesn't end after you say, I will, or I do. Marriage is a commitment. It's a joining of two people. It's a life together. When you say yes and you proclaim that Jesus is Lord, there's power in that. And as you understand that Christ loves you in that relationship, you can't help but love other people. The works are a natural byproduct of being connected to God the Father through Christ. So thus a true faith doesn't sit on the sidelines doesn't just read books about faith or study theology and do nothing about it. It's a practical theology that's lived out in the world. And when I say theology, I mean an understanding of God that wants to share this love and faith with other people. Not only does this kind of faith uh, love, it also forgives. In our epistle reading, it said, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. Remember, it starts with understanding that Christ forgave you. And through that understanding, you're able to forgive other people, even people that hurt you deeply. And when it's this whole word of compassion, we talk about, oh, that's nice, you know, you give to children. I think compassion means a life with passion, if you know the Latin. Compassion. That we're able to live lives that are dynamic with passion because we understand that we're not only loved, but we're forgiven. For it is by grace you have been saved, said the Apostle Paul, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Thus we don't get stuck in bitterness or unforgiveness. We live lives of passion and connection with others because of our connection with God. And finally, when we look at our epistle, it talks about how no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. When we proclaim that Jesus is Lord, we build others up with our words. We understand the power of words. Yes, we're going to fail. We're going to fall in those times when we gossip or we say bad things about people. 
But the Holy Spirit's going to continue to remind us over and over again, this is not who you are. You belong to Christ, and this is not the kind of behavior for someone who uh, belongs to Christ. We have a God who looks at us and says, you belong to me when you put your faith in him. This kind of belonging changes our actions. It changes the movements, the trajectory of our life. We understand we're loved, we're forgiven. And we understand through the words of Christ that we belong to him. And we can't help but build others up, love them, share God's forgiveness, and proclaim that salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. So recently, um, I went on a mission trip. And I'm going to have the guys show a, uh, a few slides of the kids on our mission trip. And what I love about a mission trip, it's a microcosm. You like how I threw that word out there, a little SAT word. I threw it out of my bag of smarts. It's a microcosm of how life is intended to be lived. See, the kids I brought were loved on by these little kids. You may think it was them loving on the kids, but as they approach camp every day, these kids approach them the same way God approaches us. They ran to them. They hugged them. Even though we didn't understand their words all the time, they let them know that they loved them. So as our kids served and worked with them, you could see the Lord working in their lives. You could see the smiles on their face as they understand the joy of the Lord. They understood that the faith life was one of movement. All the kids I brought would write on a survey, yes, I believe in Jesus, I'm a Christian. But as they start living out their faith and realize that faith is a life of movement. Oh, by the way, that girl was dropped by some game I came up with. And uh, so one of our girls was comforting that little girl right there. But um, yes, yeah, so don't have Steve lead games. They're way too dangerous. But these kids understood that the faith life was one of movement. And they got to live it out this week. And the week wasn't easy. About 18 of our 30 people got sick with a stomach bug one day. There's times then we had disagreements and we're fighting with each other. It had all the things that life makes up. But the one thing they understood again this week is that Jesus was Lord of their lives. That the faith life was never meant to be on a sideline, a cerebral thing. It was meant to be lived out. So they had the opportunity to do that with some kids from Honduras. But as a Christian writer, I've been reading recently said, who's done some incredible work in uh, um, some very difficult places with international justice. He said, as great as some of these works that I've been, God's blessed me to be a part of, the hardest work is to bring this stuff home and to walk across the street and love your neighbor or your classmate, to share your faith with those that are around you, your family, your friends. And so hopefully uh, from this week, this microcosm of what life is about, they'll understand that Jesus is Lord, that he's called us to a life of love, forgiveness, and building others up. And with the building others up, when the kids got sick, the veterans who had been there before, and they're like, you'll be fine a day from now, you just got to get through it. And we did, with the little help of ciproflaxin, if you're a doctor, that stuff works very well. Anyway, I, w- I want to leave you all with a, uh, a question. Are you connected with God in your life? Have you become stagnant in your faith? Have you made that proclamation and said, you know what, Jesus is Lord. I may not understand everything, but I know enough of the gospel to understand I want to go after this. I want to proclaim that. I want to say yes to Jesus. 
You know, it's an analogy, and it's not the best one, but when you buy a car, you don't know everything about all the parts. Unless you're like a master mechanic. We may have one or two of those in the audience here, but pretend that if you're that person, pretend you don't know everything about a car. When you buy that car, you're just trusting that it's going to start, has the nice new car smell to it, and you act in faith. We do that with the things we buy, with the little you know about Christ. And if you need to know more, you're welcome to talk to Greg, I, or Kathy, or any number of people that are here in the congregation today. It's enough to put your faith and trust in, because it's a relationship that not only brings you salvation, it gives you purpose and meaning. It helps you to live your lives so you're not stagnant or don't stay stagnant. I want to uh, leave you with another analogy that writer I was telling you about, uh, Bob Goff said on a uh, podcast. Um, I want you to picture your life like a wine bottle. When you put your faith and trust and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, it's like filling that bottle up with the best-tasting wine. But like any wine, when they put it in the cellar, especially at these you know, nice vineyards, they have a guy whose job is every so often to get those dusty bottles and turn it a quarter turn. For, thus, for those of us who become believers and know that we're filled with the Lord, we do need that quarter turn. We need that turn when we become stagnant in our lives to know that God has called us to a bigger purpose. It's not just believing. It's living out this belief with love, with forgiveness, with encouraging and building others up. Let's not ignore this. Let's not just dabble in our faith. Let's fully engage. Think about that, uh, my dad's uh, poor Land Cruiser. When it's fully engaged the way it was intended to, not for driving lessons, it goes. Our life, when we proclaim the Lord as Lord of our lives, will be a life of movement. Yes, we're all going to need that quarter turn to stir up the sediment that settled in the bottle once in a while so we don't get stuck. But we have a God who's about movement. He's called us to a life of movement, a life of action. I want to leave you with a, uh, a song, and, uh, and then I'll close this in a prayer. There's an old song by that country singer, Patsy Cline, and it's called Just a Closer Walk with Thee. She writes, uh, her lyrics say this, or sings, I should say, I, and I won't sing for you, trust me, it wouldn't be good. I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee, just a closer walk with thee. Granite Jesus is my plea, daily walking close to thee. And I leave you that as for all of us, as we leave this week, every day, Let's take that quarter turn, stay a little more connected, talk to God, prayer as we call it. Spend time with other believers so we can encourage and build others up. And know that we have a mission to do. It's not just in Honduras or the ends of the world. It's to our neighbor right across the street, to our employees that we work with, to our friends and neighbors and family. Let's be proclaimers that live this message of love, forgiveness, and building others up. Let's pray. Lord, all of us become stagnant at times. We feel stuck in our lives. We feel like we're in a rut. Lord, we thank you that you are a God of movement. Not only did you move the oceans in creation, you move our hearts and stir them. We pray this morning that you'd stir everyone's heart here. If they haven't trusted you as Lord, they would proclaim that. There is power in that. 
And I pray with that proclamation, they will live out this message this week. This message of love, forgiveness, and building others up as they proclaim the good news of Jesus. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.